finale by unpacking verses 16 and 17, which, funny enough, is going to lead us to talk about the rest of the passage we read and even the rest of the book of Romans. For verses 16 and 17 are the thesis statement. That means the the main idea, for those of you that it's been a while since you took high school English, the big main idea of the book of Romans is entirely encapsulated in verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You just need to have a little faith. And so rather than breaking it up into points the way I normally do, we're actually just going to walk through these two verses phrase by phrase. So essentially I've cut this up into five phrases, and the points are in your very Bibles. First, beginning in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now what is this thing he's not ashamed of? What is the gospel? Well, he told us in the beginning of the letter. The gospel is about God's Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, that sounds like good news. Why would that bring us shame? In fact, why are you telling us what will bring us shame? I thought you said you were here to free us from shame by faith. Well, I am. But the cure to shame is itself something that some who don't fully comprehend the cure can in fact find shameful. If you don't comprehend the cure to shame, you'll find the cure itself Shameful. Because the gospel, Paul says, can bring shame to us. He writes in 1 Corinthians 1, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. I mean, why wouldn't it be? After all, we Christians preach about a nobody Jewish guy who got himself executed as a criminal. What can a Jewish criminal who died on a cross do for anyone? Paul continues, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Because Jews would have said that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And folly to Gentiles. Because who thinks their hope is in a guy that got executed, right? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Paul says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers, he says to the Corinthians. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
Friends, if you're coming to church to be around the good people, you've come to the wrong place. You will be put to shame. I mean, if some of you are probably ashamed of me. There's at least two of you that are mad at me for how I started this service. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because you needed to be shamed today so you can learn about Jesus. See the seriousness on my face? I'm not joking. The fact that you are mad at me means you've got repenting to do. God seems to not like impressive people sometimes. And yet how often we Christians get upset when people aren't impressed with us. I digress. Paul continues, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. So, obviously, if you're you're not picking up what I'm laying down, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't going to resonate with everyone. Why not? Well, several reasons. And I'm not going to name them all. I'm going to stick to three I just found in these two verses, okay? First of all, some people won't like the gospel because it's good news. Right, so gospel it just means good news, like a herald would bring the good news of a victory. But it's the good news of a king who died on the cross, and the king who died is a hero. It seems like foolishness, and so people are just going to write it off. But the reason he had to die on the cross, the reason his death on a cross is good news, is the second reason some people won't like the gospel. Because the gospel is good news that has some very bad news for us. We are not good people. We're bad people. We are sinners. In and of ourselves, we are separated from God forever and in a mess of our own making. That's why in verse 18, Paul will continue in Romans 1 to say, for the wrath of God, I want to, I've been listening to this Welsh preacher preach on this thing, so I want to say the wrath, but I can't roll my tongue. Uh, <laughs> for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's talking about us. Hey, preacher, I'm not ungodly in suppressing the truth. Well, the Bible says that's where we all start. And that's offensive, isn't it? I just called y'all bad people. You know what? Me too. I'm a messed up human being. And I don't just mean I make mistakes. I mean I commit evil sins. And I know you do too. And all the evils and sufferings that we wonder about in this world, they're not God's fault, they're ours. We did it. We're the problem. And so Paul will eventually write in Romans 3, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. And people just aren't going to like that message. People want to say, I'm a good person. We are good people, and the gospel just says, no. Why ever you think you're good, no, you're not. Yes, I'm, po- I'm poking you in the eye right now. I'm trying to see if I can rile you up a little. Whatever makes you think you're great. Now, God loves you if you're a Christian, but God is not impressed with you. God delights in you, Christian. It's why he gave his son for you. But you are not impressive to him. That's an offensive thing to say. And the third reason people will turn away from the gospel is because it is merely good news and not good advice. I am as guilty as any other preacher in trying to give good advice in all my sermons because the Bible does have instructions for us. But at the end of the day, if I haven't told you good news, I haven't preached the gospel. Most people want advice, frankly. They want a quick fix, a thing that they can do that will get them in good, give them success, and let them build themselves up and impress others. But my friends, the gospel isn't advice. It's news. And the gospel promises none of those things, success or impressiveness. So some will wonder, what use is the gospel then? And of course, it's not useful if you don't think you need salvation. Because that's where the next phrase goes in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Right? And eventually, Paul will go on to write in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But if you don't think you need to be saved, that doesn't mean anything to you. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But that's just power for salvation, not for things in this life. But my friends, if you will believe this, if you'll put your faith in Jesus, and if you will share this with others, it is the power of God for salvation. That's what it says. The gospel is the power. The, the, the Greek's really fancy, I promise. It is the power. So when we tell people the gospel, whether we're telling it to ourselves, our brothers and sisters in Christ, or someone that does not know Jesus, power is going out from us. But it's not like the power we expect, because often it doesn't create dramatic transformations, though sometimes it does. But the most dramatic things it does is it gives people faith when the Holy Spirit works through it. As one commentator said, it's not magic, though at times it does feel like it, because it's God's power at work through the faithful announcement of His Son. So if we have power in the gospel... Why do we so often trust in and proclaim other powers, my friends? And I'm not just talking about reasonable things. Sometimes we think there will be devastation if the right powers aren't where we think they ought to be. 
Sometimes we think if things don't go exactly our way, the whole world is going to fall apart and God can't be good. Why do we trust in other powers when we have the power of God unto salvation for eternal life? Because we have our eyes in the wrong place. We don't take eternity seriously enough. We don't take heaven and the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation that is coming seriously enough. An old professor of mine used to say one of the greatest weaknesses of the modern Christian church is that we don't keep our eyes on the eschaton enough. Now, we're not a dispensational church. We're not going to talk about raptures. But you know what? The end times do matter because they are our greatest hope above all else. That day we will be with Jesus Christ our Lord in the new heavens and new earth with no more sin and no more suffering. You don't get to see it in this life all the time, but that's pretty practical power from the gospel. What's more? Why are we so graceless with others when we're only saved by faith and others can only be saved by faith? And yet, if their behavior isn't changing to what we want them to do, we just talk to them about changing their behavior and we don't talk to them about Jesus. I've already said the Bible teaches us things. There is advice and instruction, but it's all for naught. It is not the power of salvation unto God if it's not first the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. Don't start with behavior change. Start with good news, friends. If you want to see the world transformed, stop trying to change how people act and tell them good news. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, we're on our third phrase now, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's the next thing you need to realize. Salvation is for everyone through faith. Now what that means, my friends, you've got to remember, the Jews, this is all about temporal chronology, okay? That means in the order in which things happen, Sorry. I have a big fancy vocabulary, aren't I special? Um, right? So, that all that is about is the order, right? The gospel came to the Jews first. If you don't know this, Jesus was ethnically a Jew. It, 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 you know, at least half. He was also God. He was fully God and fully man. I'm not being a docetist or anything here, I promise. But, you know, he only had one human parent, uh, biologically speaking. <laughs> um, so, uh, salvation is, came to the Jews first, and then it went to the rest of the world, starting with the Greeks and the barbarians. That's all Paul is talking about. But what this means, and what surprised the Jews, frankly, was that the salvation of God was for everyone and merely through faith. Not the keeping of any special laws, not even by acting right and obeying, although we will talk obe about obedience in a minute before someone accuses me of antinomianism. But you're not saved by obedience, so let it go. Let it go. Now, my friends, there is no issue that can keep someone from becoming a Christian. And I just want to tell you, if you're letting X issue keep you from coming to Jesus. Stop it. 
come to Jesus anyway. But I suffer from this particular sin. It's so heinous. Christians hate it. Don't care. Jesus is for you. Or you say, I'm not going to share the gospel with these sorts of people because they're so wicked. Stop it and go tell them good news for it is the only thing that can save them. Telling them to change their ways won't work. You're not thinking clearly about the gospel. If you keep letting X issue either keep you from being a Christian or you let X issue keep you from offering the gospel to someone. Because I'm not saying X issue doesn't matter, that we don't need to talk about it. Uh, There are sometimes legitimate questions that need to be answered uh, and they're often difficult. But there is no issue that disqualifies someone from being a Christian. Not their political party, not their sexuality, not their past, nothing. Nothing. And if Jesus really is the Son of God who died and rose again from the dead, well, then your issue doesn't matter if Jesus really did raise from the dead. Not doesn't matter, but you've got things out of order, right? You've got to set your issue aside and first deal with the gospel. Is it true that Jesus died for our sins because God loves us? And is it proven true by the fact that Jesus rose again, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair physically from the dead? Because if he did, then your issue doesn't matter. And if he didn't, your issue doesn't matter. you got to start with the gospel. And if you refuse to set your issue aside, whether it's to come to Jesus or to share Jesus, If you refuse to set your issue aside, your true God is being revealed. For, and here we're on to our fourth phrase now, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And right, this this is it, right? This is where we're getting into what got Luther, where he went, oh, I get it. And remember I said there, there, had, there were some translation things. He was looking at a Latin one that had the Latin for just and justice, but in reality it was the Greek, dikaiosune, which has to do with righteousness being declared right uh, within a court of law. You just need to know that, okay? So, I'm going to say it again so you can process that. Luther was looking at a Latin translation at first. He had this word that translated justice, but when he looked at the Greek, he realized it was this Greek word, it's dikaiosune, but it doesn't matter. It, the word righteousness, our, our translations say righteousness, and specifically, the righteousness of God. And Luther, as he began to understand uh, what this phrase, what this phrase of this one verse meant, is when things clicked into place and opened those gates to paradise. So if you are trying to figure out how to be just, how to be righteous in the sight of God, you can't. The righteousness of God is a thing that is given to you and received by faith. All you need is faith. All you need to ask people to do to share the gospel is have faith. All they need is faith. You see, a lot of people really do think that this is about God's righteousness, how good and righteous and holy God is, and about that being revealed to the world. And it is because this is a double entendre, I think. 
And I've looked at the Greek for a hot minute. It is both about God's righteousness being revealed and it is about God's righteousness to us. That is how it is given to us to make us righteous being revealed. It's both. And when Luther understood that double entendre, he went, oh, not only do I see how righteous God is, but I see how gracious he is and how he made me righteous in his sight, not for anything in me, but for the righteousness of Christ imputed to me and received by faith alone. All you need is faith. The beauty of the imputed righteousness of Christ, that means the, uh, the given to us, assigned to us, given as a gift, right with, rightness with God that is given to us. The beauty of that is because God does things that way, he can be holy and just while still being merciful. In fact, only if God gives us righteousness as a gift can he be both just and merciful. Because if he were only just, we would all go to hell. And mercy is not, oh, I, I, don't, have a, I don't have another side. Just if he were only just, we would all go to hell. But he is just and merciful. And it is this righteousness revealed that makes that possible. Because it's how we're made right in relation to God when we have faith in Jesus Christ. And so anything that continues to weigh us down with guilt while we're yet experiential, experientially and emotionally yet to experience the release of that guilt and maybe even yet to fully repent of that sin, nonetheless, Christian, in Christ you are already free, made right with God and with the power of God to be set free. Because you have been freed, you are being freed, and you will be freed. One of the amazing things about the entire book of Romans is it talks about the past, what Jesus has done. It talks about the present, what the Holy Spirit is doing now. And it talks about the future, what God will do in that last day when we will see him face to face. And that is, we have been made righteous, we are being made righteous, and we will be made and declared righteous. And so I just want to tell you, as you are struggling with your guilt, as you are struggling with your shame, as you are struggling with the thing that is weighing you down, as you're struggling with your sin. There's lots of complicated things and techniques, and yes, they do matter. Okay, I'm not writing them all off. But start with faith in Jesus. All you need is faith. If you don't start there, you won't find Christian freedom as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the meantime, even working out your salvation in fear and trembling takes faith to keep carrying on while you still feel weighed down. But Paul gives us something for that too. In Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And all of that, that escape, that freedom, that experience, is, is taken hold of. For it's revealed from faith, for faith. So you put faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? You put your faith in Jesus and you begin to walk with him. Now good news, it doesn't have to be strong faith, just a little faith. Because it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith, the almighty Lord Jesus Christ. And that's comforting. Because when your faith in Jesus is weak, you can know that you're still going to be okay because you're securing him. And you get the results of Habakkuk 2 verse 4, which is to walk by faith. Aha, someone's going to say, I knew it. He's finally come around and told me if I don't change my life, I won't be saved. I'm trying to decide the best way to handle you. That's not true. This is all scripted, but you have to say these things, right? Um, anyway. Aha! I knew you were going to say I have to get it together to be saved. No, no, no. You misunderstand. You don't get it together to be saved. But if you have faith, of course it changes you because you do something about whatever you trust in. That's why Paul said in verses 3 through 5 that this was all this gospel was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those, he says in Rome, but to all those who are loved by God and called to be saints, holy ones. That is, we are called to be transformed. We are not saved by changing, but putting our faith in Jesus will certainly change us. How could it not? What we fundamentally believe has changed. As we talked about in James a few weeks ago, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. The idea being that when you have faith in Jesus, you're not saved by changing. But if you believe one bank is robbing you and another one is full of honest people, you pull your money out of the bank and you put it in the other bank. If you believe one person is a good, you know, is a good uh, house-selling person, real estate agent, and another one is crooked. You know what you do? You literally drive to a different office. What we put our faith in, what we believe, changes what we do. That's just how life works. It's just logical. That's why Paul himself will eventually write in Romans 12, right before and it was a part of our reading of the law, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which for some weird reason the ESV translates which is your spiritual worship, except it's the Greek word legizomai. It's your logical worship. It's just logical to do things differently when where your faith is has changed. But the salvation, the change, doesn't start with going and telling people to act better, okay? It starts with faith. All you need is faith. If you don't have faith, don't worry about the works. Look at all the evil things in your life, the hidden sins, the things you don't want anyone to know about and that you'd be embarrassed if anyone knew. The things that you go, if there is a God, he's not going to be happy with this. And then look at Jesus. My invitation to you, friends, is to believe in him. Put your faith in him. And that is, put your faith in him. And that is the power unto salvation. You will no longer be condemned for those things. And what's more, you might find your life begin to change. So that's it. If you want to have eternal life, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have your sins forgiven and have confidence that you will have resurrection, that death and evil itself will be defeated, that that you won't be sent to hell, and if you want to grow in character, in love, in hope, and yes, even in holiness and obedience, and know that you're going to have everlasting joy and everlasting life, you just need to have faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died on a cross and was raised again from the dead. Some might be ashamed at how unimpressive that is because it's not very flashy. And yet faith connects you through Jesus Christ to the God of the universe. So whatever shame you're facing, whatever doubts you're having about your relationship with God, look at Jesus. All you need is a little faith, nothing else. And that is good news. Let's pray. Father, all we need is a little faith, but sometimes we feel like our faith is even smaller than we know. God, have mercy on us. Strengthen our faith so that we would be more assured. And for those who do not have faith, bring them to conversations where they can express their doubts and explore what the Christian good news is and save souls through the gospel, which is the power unto salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.